Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. Rising Report, it's that Apple Report, it's the Rising Apple Report. Rising Report, it's that Apple Report, it's the Rising Apple Report. Yeah! And hello out there. This is the Converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here with a first-half wrap-up edition of the Rising Apple Report. We have the whole podcast crew here to, uh, why, don't we, why don't we go ahead and say commiserate? Uh, but hey, it's only a first half, and there's still a whole other half of baseball that could be better or worse than what we just saw. So without further ado, let me bring on the crew, and I'm going to start with uh, Nick Serrato from Staten Island. Uh, Nick, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, trying to enjoy the Mets season as much as I can right now. Well, how about you, you, know, Sam? you gotta you gotta take you gotta take your uh, you, you got you gotta take out whatever you can uh, that's good. So and that's just uh, that's just how baseball works. And and uh, you know I I was thinking about it the other day at least like there's still a lot of great young talent, but we can get more into that uh, as we go into the uh, the podcast and uh, go go over to uh, Bensonhurst uh, where where Mike Mike Lacolant is. How you doing, Mike? What's going on, guys? Uh, you know, hanging in there as a Met fan would. As a Met fan would, and here's another Met fan, Rich from Connecticut, Rich Sparago. What's going on tonight? It's, it's been a while. Yeah, it has, Sam. And, um, you know, um, I'm looking forward to this discussion because uh, I think there's a lot to discuss. Um, you know, if you would have told us when we did this season preview podcast back in April that here's where we'd be sitting at the All-Star break, I think um, collectively we probably would have said no. But here's where we are, and so let's dive into it. Well, yeah, all right, let's dive into it. And I'll start with you, Rich. What do you think... Is is the um, the thing that's been most exposed, and and what do you think the Mets could have done to prevent something like this from occurring? Well, you know the injuries happen, right? Because you can look at um, you know, and, and I do buy that the idea that many teams have injuries. Yes, the Mets have a few more, and the difference is, you know, if you look at DL days, you know, Sandy Alderson was talking about that art when he was trying to defend Ray Ramirez. In the training staff, he was saying our DL days are middle of the pack, and that's probably true. Of course it is. It's mathematically true. But the, the issue is that the DL days are coming from star players, you know, as opposed to other teams. I can't imagine with other teams that the DL days are, are um, pretty much exclusively confined to their star players. So there's that. But then the other part of it is, you know, the Mets are a very one-dimensional offense. You know, they're not an athletic team. Uh, the team sacrifices defense for offense and the offense they want from the home run ball. And that's just not, it, it's, it doesn't look good. You know, when you watch this team, they look old, they look uninspired. And I'm sure we're going to get to Terry Collins later. He said it today uh, that the team is playing uninspired ball. They just look, the guys who are on the field, it's not like they're just, you know, they're trying their best. And they, they come across and hey, you know what, we're down to our reserves. We're just outclassed. That's not the case. It looks like they're playing uninspired, listless baseball on top of the injuries. 
And so I, so that is my long answer for, for what I think went wrong. I think, you know, you have a team entirely predicated on, okay, you know, we'll sacrifice defense with the ball over the fence and, and, you know, it, it's not really happening. It's not happening consistently. So you put that together with the injuries and you have a problem. And then you look at what they could have done to improve not only the defense, but most likely also the offense uh, with a dynamic kid as, such as Ahmed Rosario. Um, you know, he gets to play in the Futures game today because they didn't call him up. I didn't see how that went, but... Um, you know, I, I'm, I've just gotten to the point, like where I'm all about sell, sell, sell. And I know that everybody is raving about Ahmed Rosario. Uh, some people are, are still not sold on Dominic Smith just because the power really hasn't come yet. Uh, they're not sure what they're getting. But you have both playing excellently down below. Um, at some point, that's, that's basically what I want to see out of this season is setting up for 2018 and – and, uh, you know, really committing to what this, uh, th- this organization is going to be about going forward now that, that you, you know, you're starting to see much more uh, Sandy Alderson's draft class uh, making impact uh, at the big league level, including somebody like Brandon Nimmo. Hey, yo, Mike. Yeah. Me, you're offering that to me. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll pick. I'll, I'll pick up where Rich left off, and I'll jump on your bandwagon as well. Uh, you know, when all else fails, you need that ability to play small ball. You need to be able to rely on fundamentals, and, and you know the Mets just can't do that. Uh, that's uh, you know they're built according to this pie chart, uh, and you know what I mean by that. Uh, and here's what I mean about jumping on your bandwagon, Sam. Uh, you know, something funny happened along the way in that rebuilding process. Uh, the Mets won a pennant in 2015. And I think that derailed them from uh, continuing and, and finalizing that rebuild because it wasn't. You know, I'm not going to call that a fluke, but they strayed. And they bogged themselves down at a couple of positions when they should have continued forward uh, with that rebuilding process and 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 readied certain positions for guys coming up. Uh, so you know, I think we're at that stage now, and yeah, I'm looking forward towards 2018. Now, not that I'm giving up on this season, even though it doesn't look good, but yeah, according to what you say, Sam, and the way I feel. Uh, about them straying, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2018. I want them, I want this team to alleviate itself of, of you know, these older vets. Not that they're old, but just get rid of these vets and, and let these young kids come up. Let them play together. Let them gel together, and, and ultimately let them find their winning way together. Uh, you know, so that's where I am. You know, when you, you got to look at it. Uh, like this, Nick. I mean, every time the Mets creep up to 500, they have another losing streak. Uh, so I think at this point, you know, um, trying to push to 500 is a realistic expectation out of what to accomplish for this season. Yeah, I mean, they finish heading towards the All-Star break. They've lost five out of their last sits. They had a winning streak going. But I think one of the things that stands out for the Mets is they're good against the bad teams. We've seen them beat the San Francisco Giants, the Philadelphia Phillies. They're good against the bad, but when you put them up against those top-tier teams, they're getting disgraced out there. They're getting beat bad, and they're showing their weaknesses on the field. And so the Mets are a middle-of-the-pack team in Danville, even though their record doesn't show it right now. They're certainly more of a middle-pack team than how they've played. Uh, But at the moment the eighth worst record in the MLB. So it's going to be really tough to believe that they're going to climb out eight games under 500, especially if they're in that sell mode. Uh, But as much as we say it's tough to watch, it still isn't because we are hoping they're going to make the decisions of getting younger. You want to see guys like TJ Rivera at the moment, how he does, and is he the right position player 
before the 2018 season. The same goes for Wilmer Flores. So this is more of like the testing ground for the Mets, especially for the second half of the season. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, it's not just about trading. It's about what we can expect into uh, for the near future of the players that we have and when they finally get to the real test. Rich, I know it's always easier said than done to sell, 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 sell. But when, you know, we're, we're looking at that angle, you know, I think you're you're with, you know, in the same boat that you'd like to see them maximize the most out of the season, which at this point, I believe, involves selling off certain pieces. So where would you like the Mets to, to start there? Well, you know, uh, if you've seen the promos, and, and they're on like every five minutes on SNY for the uh, the Mets Insider that was actually on today at 530, you know, you see Howie Rose say that, you know, people say sell, they want the general manager to proclaim I'm in sell mode, and he says that, and that sends a bad message to the fan base, especially when you were expected to win, and I agree with that. I think if they just say, okay, all, you know, we charge you high prices, you know, no more mini plans, you know, we're going to hose you for making you buy the most tickets possible, and uh, we were just kidding, we're going to sell now. And I, while I think that may be logical, that's a tough message to send to the fan base, because this wasn't a year where there was a question mark. This was supposed people were picking the Mets win the World Series. So if you go into full sell mode, it may be logical and correct, but, but it is a tough organizational thing to do. So to answer your question, remember what the Yankees did last year at the deadline? I thought it was right. a stroke of genius by Brian Cashman. He bought and sold at the same time. And I wonder if Sandy Alderson can do that. Because, you know, sure, Lucas Duda, in my opinion, should go. Um, I think he should go maybe one of Cabrera or Bruce or Reyes, I mean, as much as I like Reyes. You know, those guys, if they could, if they could slot into a contending team, uh, you know, maybe Addison Reed, if you're going to be getting familiar back, maybe you could move some pieces. But what you bring back, you bring back maybe major league ready talent. Maybe these are guys who are on these contending teams rosters as like their 24th guy, 25th guy. Maybe it's a younger guy, not a veteran, but a younger guy who has some potential who is on the cusp of the major leagues or already in the major leagues but can't break through on a contending team, that's what I want the Mets to do. I want them to shed off you know, some of these guys, these clunky old veterans, and try to bring in not double-A prospects but send the message to the fan base that we're retooling, we're not rebuilding. That's what I want to see them do. And to be honest with you, I've lost my faith in Sandy. I don't see him as, you know, he doesn't make a lot of moves. Um, I, I'll throw it out there. Is he even capable of doing that? I mean, I, I saw Brian Cashman do it. I'd like my GM to do it. But I have to say, sitting here right now, I'm not entirely convinced he could do it. But but we'll see. Well, Brian Cashman um, probably showed his true colors for the first time in, what, like a 14, 15-year career there, where right. it wasn't really the Steinbrenner you know, name hovering over him to, to, you know, do basically the way George Steinbrenner had always done, which is, you know, buy, buy, buy. Um, all of a sudden, Brian Cashman was able to get creative, and he, he uh, his, uh, he's reaping what he's, he sowed now already. Um, and, yeah, I think I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Rich, that I have lost my, my faith in Sandy Alderson. It's always been like, oh, he's shrewd. He always you know, waits out to make sure he can win every deal. And sometimes that's, uh, you know, very flawed. And, and also, um, he doesn't seem to really get creative all that much. And, you know, we're seeing it with the way he's used the middle infield uh, lately. Um, so, plus, you know, both him and Terry Collins are getting up there. I'm not sure whether even Sandy's coming back. We could be seeing a big transition with uh, 2018, and, and, you know, uh, I think a lot of people fear that it's just going to go back to the uh, the inner circles and John Rico's finally going to get a shot. Um, but, you know, Mike, where, you know, looking at that, what's your, your opinion on uh, on all of this? Where, where are you on Sandy? Uh, well, the, the mere mention of John Rico terrifies me. Uh, the hair on the back of my neck stand up and say that, or anybody mentions his name. Can't believe that he's still around. Uh, lots of reasons for that, my own personal look. Uh, what goes on? You know what? I just don't know. I don't know how much longer Sandy Alderson is going to stick around. 
based on his record as general manager of the Blue Jays. Not that big a fan uh, to have J.P. Ricciardi take over the helm. Uh, I like him in his present capacity, but certainly no more. Uh, so the future actually terrifies me. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure what Sandy Alderson is about this at this moment moving forward. I, I knew what he was about in, in 2011, and, and I was certainly on board with everything then. I knew this team needed to be uh, deconstructed and reconstructed. Uh, I was down with him uh, throughout the whole rebuilding process. But here we are in 2017. I don't know. Uh, to directly answer your question, Sam, I just don't know. I'm not sure. Let's see if uh, he extends as general manager of the Mets. Maybe I can better answer that. But right now, I, I don't know what direction, you know, they're looking to take, whether they're looking to, uh, you know, bring in more veterans, uh, maybe at the trade deadline, maybe over the winter. I, I, I just don't know. I, you know, a guy like Andrew McCutcheon, he's going to be available. Uh, is he the kind of player that the Mets want to dabble in? I, I don't know, and I, I hope they don't. I, I'd rather see, like I said before, the Mets go with youth. And as Nick said, you know, give these kids, not that they're necessarily kids, but give these players a chance to play out the regular, the rest of the regular season. Uh, you know, because if anything's failing us, it's our pitching. Uh, and unless they can make uh, considerable, uh, you know, reparations to that. I, I don't see much changing right now. We're scoring. That's not necessarily a problem. We hit home runs like we've always been doing. We met. Uh, and and let's, 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 also, let's also remind ourselves that this is an epidemic, and, and yeah, call, call it an epidemic if you will, um, uh, throughout Major League Baseball is that there's, you know, strikeouts are up and so are the home runs. Um, and so this has become not even just a Mets problem. Problem. I mean, like I'm saying it like, like obviously people like seeing home runs. They like watching the ball travel from uh, from home plate all the way to places that you never thought humans could possibly hit a uh, baseball. Um, but at the same time, you're you're just getting you're you're starting to get this very strange game where. There's there's all this downtime. Uh, there's too many commercials. Uh, they haven't figured out how to tighten up the replay system. They're not talking to anybody. Uh, and there's no there's no manager fights. There's hardly ever any brawls anymore. Um, and 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 you have this you you have this game where players are 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 not. They're they're not they're always trying to you know launch, you know set the new launch angle record as opposed to get the runner in from third, uh, and so you get more strikeouts because of that. And, and so I mean that's a whole other conversation really as opposed to where the Mets currently are and where the Mets are going. But obviously I think that has a lot to do. I think the Mets are unfortunately the can be the complete uh, two extremes that are going on around baseball right now. Um, you know, I'll give you epidemic. I'll give you epidemic, but their woes are nevertheless theirs unto themselves. They're last in the National League in whip. They've walked the third most batters. They have the right. second highest average against. They're the bottom third in saves, and they got the second highest ERA. That's not epidemic throughout the league. That makes them at the bottom third tier team. That's an individual accomplishment. Right, no, but I was talking about epidemic in terms of the the home run uh, hitting hitting ways. Just just the fact that like the idea that that is that's that's becoming the the um, that has really kind of become the the mindset throughout baseball from a hitter standpoint uh, is that whole launch angle. That's the phrase you keep hearing. Uh, so it's it's just it, it it the actual ball game, the actual game of baseball is at a very interesting and yet potentially negative uh, uh, fork in the road, you know, uh, you know, which direction it's going to, going to choose here. Uh, um, that, anyway, uh, I, I was going to – what really is on my mind when it comes to the Mets is Fernando Salas getting off this team. Would you be in uh, uh, agreement at all, Nick, <laughs> speaking of bad pitching? You know, 
as Mike said, he just ran through some of the stats. It's it's part of on everybody. I mean, this was a team that uh, tied with the San Francisco Giants for the least amount of watts last season. There there are so many uh, big issues. Um, you know, if if you're down to designate for assignment, Fernando Salas, you can include like four other players on the Mets on that list because it just made so much sense. So am I for it? Sure. Does it overall make too much of a difference for the Mets? Probably not. I mean, you could easily just put him in less big game situations and then you're still using an innings either when you're down six nothing or when you're down eight to two. Uh, and it's just as useful at sometimes because you need somebody just to throw those type of innings. So I, for for the Mets, I think they do have some options to trade. Uh, but overall, I mean, like, we've heard, like, sell a couple times even on this podcast, and they don't have much to sell in in retrospect in my mind. Um, Fernando Salas, if you want to designate him for assignment, you can designate another three other players that you're also considering to trade. So I think there's a lot of different ways the Mets can go about it. What I would love to do when you were talking about the Sandy Alderson part is I, I want them to already start to think about 2018 right now. For, like, and it's like, who do we want on the uh, the roster? And if we're not going to get there on that player, I, and the other one's not going to be in 2018, then we don't need them on the team right now. And if DFA or trade is going to work, we'll never get some off faster. Honestly, I understand that you're trying to sell tickets and everything, but I wouldn't mind, Rich, if, if they sold Curtis Granderson and Jay Bruce and just had Michael Conforto and Nimmo out there uh, to finish off the year. Well, and again, I think the fan base would understand that, but but I know, I'll speak for myself. If if they trade Granderson and Bruce or one or the other, and what they get back is a class A pitcher, you know, can't get the ball over the plate, but he throws 100 miles an hour, that, that doesn't send a good message to me. And I don't think it sends a good message to the fan base in general, but I'll let you guys comment on how you would react as fans. Because... Okay, so you just traded Granderson and Bruce, and you got Class A prospects who might help in three years. So what the message is to me, this is the beginning of another rebuild. So we went from 2011 to 2015 in a rebuild, got a pennant out of it, sucked, you know, 2016, miraculous to get into the, play, the one-game playoff, sucked in 17, now another three- or four-year rebuild. That's the message that's going to go to the fan base. Now, if you do it differently, so if you trade Granderson and Bruce and Addison Reed and you maybe one team takes two of those guys or whatever, and you bring back a Clint Frazier kind of a player like the Yankees right. got or that, right? Now that sends a different message. That sends the next point. We're thinking about 2018. We got a guy here who is killing AAA or even in the major leagues now. The fan base will swallow that pill much better, much. And again, it's really going to matter what direction they take it because I'll tell you what, if I, if they trade Granderson and Bruce and get two class A prospects, the first thing I'm thinking, and I guarantee you 80% of the fan base is thinking salary dump, cheap Mets again, terrible message. But if you do it differently and and you, you're able to bring, it's going to depend upon the message will depend upon the nature of the trade. And, and so to answer your question, I'm fine. Trade both of them. If you if the return is the right return that that speaks to short term rather than long term. Great. Do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, with the numbers, especially, let's say, Jay Bruce, obviously, you know, Granderson, everybody was calling him done already, but he's just having the typical Granderson year where he sucks in April and then completely it's like 300 for the rest of the year. Uh, and and obviously I think that you can demand more for Jay Bruce at this point, Mike. But, you know, Granderson, I think you could probably figure something out uh, if there's an AL team that needs a DH or, or, you know. Although, then again, I don't know whether he – Granderson sometimes does surprise me for his age how good he is defensively. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of uh... – Right there with Rich on this one. If we trade anyone, uh, I need a sense of 
uh, taking a step forward, so to say. I, I, I need a sense of value in return. Uh, not, you know, just not trading for the sake of trading, a knee-jerk reaction, uh, you know, for the sake of uh, saying we did something. Let's move on. So, yeah, I'm looking for value. Do I want to trade Chambers for something? Yeah, I really do. Do I want to trade Grantson? Yeah, I really do. I want to. I I've made it clear. I want to rid myself of some of these veterans and make room for fresh uh, new newer people, younger people. And speaking of younger people, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the recent draft that the Mets did. Uh, Nick, I think that if you yeah you know I I I'm not sure if you. Uh, were able to see all of it, but um, the Mets, it seemed as if they, they were all about restocking pitching. I think there was some uh, uh, some outfielders and some shortstops here and there, but it, it, they were generally focused on, I believe, a lot of college pitching. Yes, yeah, certainly so. I mean, I'm just looking at the draft right now, and I think out of the first 13 rounds, only four non-pitchers. So they 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 were going pitching as their full plan, and you know I kind of agree with that mindset. Yeah. You figure that when you go into five years from now, uh, I mean Harvey's what a free agent 2018, and then Cinnadar, um, Degrom, Wheeler, all these guys are like at that beginning of 2020, 2021, 2022, and essentially that's when you would expect a lot of these players to be up in uh, the high. Triple A, Double A, and ready to come into the major leagues if you can hit a few of those on. Uh, so certainly you want to be prepared in that scenario. I mean, even uh, their second round was a third baseman. It was a while since we've seen the Mets try and draft a third baseman early on, and, and because of David Wright, because of how long they've had David Wright. But you have to think a little bit down the line on that aspect. So I. I like that the Mets went with a lot of starting pitching. Uh, Rich, I'm not or, sure if you saw some of the draft, but I, I like this. Um, the, their first, I believe it was their first pick, was David, David uh, Peterson uh, from the um, from Oregon. Yes, and you know what? The draft seems solid. You know, it, it certainly when you look at these guys, look at their their college statistics for the most part. They're college players, and and you. Just look at their, you know, their body, st- their body sizes, and they, you know, they're big, strong kids, you know, and all of that. So, sure, you know, it certainly looks on the surface like they had a solid draft. The thing about baseball is, that, you know, it's just so different than the other sports because when you draft somebody, unless it's John Olerud or Dave Winfield, you know, you're you're looking at years of of minor leagues before they before they make it. You know, even Harvey was um, was a couple like. A, two years in the, you know, in the minors working his way through. So you don't know what will happen. You know, these guys have to go through a process before they get to the major leagues. But um, based on everything we're seeing, you know, it certainly looks like they, they drafted good stock. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it certainly does. And like you said, who knows when, um, who knows what could happen when, uh, when it comes to anybody in the, um, the tri-state area, uh, specifically, especially the city, uh, who wants to go see some of these draft picks. I, I can't tell you all of them, but I do know that David Peterson has been assigned to Brooklyn, and he will be uh, most likely coming out of the bullpen as he pitched a lot for Oregon this year. And so uh, something to look forward to. Uh, Mike, you know, you saw it uh, last year, too, that the, the Mets were focused on restocking their farm system with the pitching because of uh, all these graduates. Uh, interestingly enough, this was the second draft uh, without all the Podesta. Uh, he had, uh, he had, you know, uh, he used to like to draft a lot of high school players, not all, but he used to like to draft a lot of them. You've seen over the last few years, the Mets concentrate on college players. They did went, they did go pitcher intensive this year. Last year they filled a lot of positions, oh, or drafted a lot of positions. Uh, they actually, I think, they drafted two shortstop last year in the top ten, if I'm not mistaken, uh, without looking. Uh, but it's interesting, you know. Uh, minus Paul D. Podesta, they go in college intensive. So uh, I, I guess they want a quicker return on some of these kids. 
uh, than they've been getting on the high school, you know. I think you could look at a lot of, uh, you know, some of these college pitchers being relievers very, very shortly. Uh, I think that, like you said, you had a quick turnaround. Um, You were talking about, um, when you said they drafted a third baseman, where, Nick, you were talking about, let's see, I I see third baseman a couple times, actually. They drafted Mark Vientos as their second pick out of Plantation, Florida. But they had some other third basemen uh, here at 18. Carl Stadge Duhar uh, from New Mexico. Um, and I always, you yeah, know, uh, the, the new, I always find, find it interesting looking at the the new uh, uh, age of, of baseball names, if you will. Yeah, so uh, some of these names actually are real familiar to me because I was announcing for the Stan Island Yankees doubleheader against the Brooklyn Cyclones. And as you mentioned, David Peterson is going to Brooklyn Cyclones. And out of their first 18 rounds, the, a lot of the players that signed, six of them are on Brooklyn already. So a lot of their draft picks are heading towards Brooklyn, which, I mean, for close Mets fans in the New York tri-state area, I mean, that's a great way to see a little bit of the Mets future. Uh, again, I'm I'm all for the idea of drafting a third baseman early on, like Mike Mark uh, Vientos, because of the fact, especially when David Wright has so many question marks to him. Uh, certainly, you don't know four years down the line, even if Wright will be on the team, but or even who would be the third baseman at this point, because it seems like it changes every year. And Wilma Flores, day. Jose every Reyes. Day. Uh, yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, certainly so. Uh, so... Uh, I'm all for the idea of drafting an up, upper third baseman and replacing a big need. And, and some, I think that's going to be a big question mark for the team. Well, and there was one third baseman that I didn't mention, which is Daniel Alonso, who I believe is Edgardo Alfonso's son. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what the status uh, of him. Did, does anybody know whether he's signed, Mike? It It says unsigned. So unsigned. I, I, heard that he, I heard he was going to go to... Um, to college. Yeah. Anyway, Rich. Um, yeah. Do you have any? For, do you? Do you want to follow up with anything? Well, it, it's good that they're restocking. You know, as I watch the Indians, Tigers here, you know, you see Fulmer on the mound for for Detroit, and so so clearly the Mets have moved some prospects, and Fulmer being one of them in the past couple of years. So restocking the arms makes sense. You know, drafting a third baseman makes sense. So I guess I could say, you know, in the lower levels of the organization, it looks like they're doing the right things. They're restocking in the right way, which is great. Um, you know, and with all that said, you know, that, that, that's great, you know, and, and it looks like the, the proper buttons are being pressed. But so maybe in, you know, a couple of years, these things will come to fruition. I still think the here and now is, you know, something that, that the organization is uh, is really at a crossroads with, you know, and, and I think that um, it's what's happening today and, and what direction they choose to take. That will be very interesting and um, and see how they, they do things on the major league level. You know, um, if you don't mind, Rich, uh, if I can follow up on that as well, uh, I think the biggest question mark for the Mets and what they'll do on the major league level becomes on Jacob to drop. So, to me, I mean, we're hearing every once in a while, like, the possibility of trading Jacob DeGron. That, to me, is the ultimate sentence, because whatever happens to Jay Bruce, Curtis Grandison, and all the others that are on this one-year-left deal, that's like 60 to $80 million coming off the books and payroll for the New York Mets. But if they trade DeGron, that means the one consistent starter of the seven that they have is off the team, and it's going to be more that they don't really trust the starting rotation. But if they keep the drum, I feel like then it's, okay, we're going with the same rotation. We're going with the same game plan, and we're basically just got a couple holes to fill to begin the 2018 season. So I think if the drum gets traded, it's a serious rebuild. If he doesn't, we're looking at pretty much the same team with just maybe a need in one or two positions and 60 million less on the team. Yeah, you know, and I, that's I think, an interesting point. I, I, I was just going to really quickly say that I think that rumor was was put out there because 
you know, I, I think he is a player that Houston would love to have. Uh, but I, I don't think, Rich, that the Mets are, in, are at any point considering actually trading Jacob DeGrom. Well, yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, Sam, and thank you for saying that because, you know, you want to talk about message, right? If, if you trade Duda and Granderson and Bruce and, you know, blah, blah, Cabrera, people get it. You know, yes, the whole thing we've talked about with what the return is, okay, fine, but people get it. You know, these are veterans in the last year of their contract. You traded DeGrom, the message is now, okay, guys, you know, from a contending perspective, fans, we'll see in about 2020, 2021. That's exactly the way the fan base would take that. You could spin it any way you want. You could say, you know, oh, well, it's a, look at what we got back. And DeGrom is in an entirely different category than those aging veterans. And um, it would send a very different message. It would, it would send the team into a different direction. Um, and if that's what they want to do, then, then fine. But, you know, they'd have to recognize what they'd be telling their fans. And, and because essentially you'd, you'd be starting to tear apart the rotation that was supposed to anchor you for several years to come. Um, so, and I agree with you, Sam, I, I think that I heard that thing about Houston. I haven't given that a second thought since until, uh, until Nick just brought it up. And, um, because I think it's so preposterous, but I'll tell you what, if they ever did do that, okay, you know, you guys run the organization, it's your ship, but understand that the fan base yeah, is going to come back in 2021. Yeah, but give me George Springer right. back or somebody like, you know, like yeah. you can't just be trading Jacob Grom without like solid major league position player talent coming back. That's the way I would I would try to, to shape Sort of like it. a Chris Dale that. Yeah, right. right. Uh, it's funny, Rich, when you said this, um, All when you said, like, oh, look what we got back, all I could think of was the Steve Henderson trade. That's, that's <laughs> just Joe Torre <laughs> trying to spin it in the in the 1977 uh, uh, yearbook. That, that's trying to, and for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, trying to spin the Tom Seaver trade. Um uh, Mike, I think I think that's uh, I think right now I'm I'm looking at wrapping up with whatever money you eventually have, wrapping up for years to come. Uh, uh, Jacob Degrom, Noah Syndergaard, and Stephen Matz. I think those that should be your focus. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, if two Mets ever traded the ground, that would be complete anarchy. Uh, didn't really give it a thought until Rich said, like Nick, uh, until Nick brought it up. Uh, fans would converge on Roosevelt Avenue with torches and pitchforks. You kidding me? Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I won't yeah. deny that. I'd be extremely pissed as well. But if you, let's say, turned a White Sox uh, uh, deal and got two MLB-ready prospects and basically filled one of the two or two of the two holes that the Mets would have in the 2018 season, $60 million, and then I throw a name like you, Darvish, signing with the team? Are we I, all then uh, throwing out the idea of I, the draft? I, uh, I, th- I think it, that... It, that, it, that, it, that it, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, uh, everything has a price. It would have to be equitable. Any other, any other scenario, forget it. Yeah, no, you with the DeGrom. And with the DeGrom, I don't want that Zachary back, you know. It has to be, you know, it just has to match. Let's talk about how good DeGrom is. Why don't we do that for a little bit? Let's talk about how good Jacob DeGrom really is. Rich. Well, you know, Jacob DeGrom is the kind of guy that every now and then you'll doubt him, you know, and, um, and look this after the start in Texas, it was like, he hadn't been pitching all that well. You know, he got roughed up in Milwaukee. Then he goes to Texas and he gets roughed up again. And the whole thing with, you know, the arm around him and the whole thing. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, he's had some arm, he has a history of arm problems. You know, he had, he had his rotator cuff and, and then last year he had the, the other issue. So you're thinking, uh Oh, you know, is this the end of the grom? But, he always finds a way when he, when he struggles, he finds a way to come back. And, and as much as it pains me to agree with anything that comes out of Terry Collins's mouth, uh, DeGrom is a competitor, like Terry said. And, and I think he just has that killer instinct, you know, and 
he might be down and he might go down a couple of times like a fighter. You know, he might go down for, for the count a couple of times, but he'll get back up and he'll, and he'll come right back at you. And the classic example, if you want to look at a microcosm of all of that, is, is game five against the Dodgers. You know, how he survived that game, I have no idea. And he pitched six innings, gave up two runs. They were, they were runners on base every inning, all kinds of traffic on the bases, but yet he persevered, he persevered, and, and he showed his true color. And, and I think that's kind of what he did in that game is kind of what he's done his whole career, where he'll and have look, his down I mean, moments. I was going to say, look at, look at Friday night. Yeah, four home runs, but he won the game. And and that's that is uh, you know when you look at who's the ace, um, obviously Noah Syndergaard catapulted to it last year, um, which is understandable. But I think what you saw with the the whole bicep thing was that he just got a little too too cocky too quickly. Would you agree, Mike? Look, you know what I was saying before the season even started. Uh, I basically saw that coming. The whole, mu- the whole muscle thing. And, and do you guys remember yeah. that we were talking, Nick, I don't think you were there yet, but uh, we were talking before the year about that, that pitcher who said something about how he's like 65% more likely to get injured because of the muscle he put on. I don't think I was there for that one. I, I think I've only been on for about the last two months. But, no, I... I I mean, it's not a too inaccurate sentence. I mean, every single one of the Mets' starting pitchers have basically fallen off or gotten hurt over the last two years. And we can assume they're all working out real hard. They're all getting bitter. They're young kids just trying to get stronger, throw harder. So I, it's possible. But um, the drum, to me, is always consistent, always reliable. Uh, his numbers are up this year as far as, like, ERA, home runs. But as far as, like, by far the guy you want on the mound right now for the New York Mets and the only guy that's consistently on the mound for the New York Mets, that's Jacob DeDrum. Yep. And, and Rich, uh, you know, I was thinking about this. Like he, like Nick just said, you know, these are big, these are big, strong, young kids that are looking to, you know, just keep working out better, bigger. But, like, uh, you ever see, like, Mets Insider, and they're interviewing Steven Matz, and, and he's, you know, he's wearing a uh, sleeveless shirt or something like that. Do you ever think to yourself, like, like he's a little buffer than the idea we have of him, of being this, like, you know, scrawny, tall, snazzy left-handed pitcher? That we, especially, like, you know, we try to, we try to make the comparison in some fashion, especially because he's a local kid, to you know, his potential for being Sandy Koufax, you know, like, he just seems a little too buff, like, for, for the fact that he's a pitcher. Well, he does, but I'll tell you what, that kid's an athlete, because today he hit a ball to dead center field that, you know, warning, it was a line drive. The center fielder caught at full speed on the on the warning track, so he could certainly hit, we know about all that. Um, he's been used as a pinch runner. You see him in those promo commercials, you know, with the cutoff sleeve thing on, and he's definitely ripped and um, and good, you know that. And I think you know, Matt's is kind of a symbol of um, of the modern day baseball player. You know, Mike and I remember Mike, remember uh, Rick Russell. I mean, there was a guy who, you know, who made CC Sabathia look like a look like a sprinter, you know, and. Um, <laughs> But but ball players now, I mean, baseball players are they they work out twelve months a year. The whole thing Keith Hernandez talks about all the time. They're bigger, stronger, and not only are they bigger and stronger, but they work harder. So yeah, Matt Matt is a I think he's a classic example of, you know, he's not some crafty lefty. He's a he's he's ripped and you know he can hit and he's he's a basic athlete. But like you know, Ron was the you know the whole famous clip of, of Ron now after another injury. I forget. I think it was Gazelman. Um, where Ron said, you know, they need to figure these trainers need to figure out how to keep these baseball players in shape, not bodybuilders, but baseball players. Mike. Uh, we've discussed this numerous times. Uh, you know, lifting weights once upon a time is taboo in baseball. Uh, you know, baseball requires flexibility, elasticity. Uh, you, you go from, you know, standing still to full-out sprints in a matter of a second. Uh, 
you know, so it's a different kind of conditioning from the other major sports. It really is. Uh, and it's the game of summer. And, and uh, you know, once upon a time, players used to plan on losing weight. And they would shave, you know, uh, an ounce or two off their bats. They wouldn't change the model. They'd just shave an ounce off of it. Uh, so, you know, the whole philosophy of conditioning has changed. Uh, I, I think right now it's in a state of conflict against what's more conducive to the game of baseball. I think they're overthinking it when it comes to baseball. I think conditioning in their mode is good in life and perhaps in other endeavors, just not baseball. Uh, so I, I really think they're getting it wrong. You look at all these non-contact injuries, it's ponderous. Uh, and just to go back to Noah Syndergaard, I thought his off-season uh, program was, was just pure folly. And I said that throughout spring training, and lo and behold, you know, and I kept on saying it's new opening day, and to, you know, so there we are. Uh, just complete stupidity. Uh, these guys need to be limber uh, and not bulked up, uh, you know, and it's just... Uh, I, I, you know, without me going off on a tangent, I, I just think conditioning is a complete conflict with the game of baseball and what the physical body needs, you know, to effectively execute the game of baseball. Uh, they, they, they've strayed, they've strayed, you know, spring training once upon a time, and of course I'm going back to the days of black and white TV, but spring training used to be once upon a time in the time where you got in shape. If you weren't working out in the off season, because you were working a job on the field, Babe Ruth or one of those guys. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the science of of conditioning is one thing, uh, but it's being it's being applied incorrectly to the game of baseball. You know, how do you how do you implement change? Who's responsible for something like that? That's, that's, well, that's it only takes one rocket scientist to have a good year, and, and you know, baseball's follow the, you know, follow the monkey. Monkey see, monkey do. If it works for one person, well, that's the new model. We all do it now. And then somewhere, somewhere, somewhere down the line, somebody else does something differently. It works, and then monkey see, monkey do. People start following that model. So well, think, we're, think, we're about it, the, think about it like this, um, Nick. Is th- th- this is a good place to consider? Uh, Carlos Beltran, he's kind of in between, you know, uh, the old way and the new way. And uh, what I always thought was interesting uh, was that I heard that he didn't work out other than with a medicine ball. And that, that is how he, he managed his workout. And, yeah, he had knee problems, but here he is at, at age 40. You know, he's had a pretty remarkable career. And, you know, I think that that – even though we've obviously he he was injured a good amount for us uh, with knee issues, um, and uh, the Yankees had some some uh, injury issues with him at certain points, but generally speaking, he's been able to to weather the storm enough to not have to retire before age forty. Yeah, uh, Beltron. I mean, this is a guy that's possibly a future Hall of Famer, and. You know, I, th- I think it's always interesting when you hear these older veterans talk about uh, the new way of training, and it keeps them in better conditioning shape, especially in other sports. We'll hear that plenty of times by veterans. You hear it occasionally in baseball as well. Uh, you know, I think it was like David Wright that would say like years back that like in spring training, he would put on weight because by the end of the season, he was actually losing like 10 to 15 pounds. So it, it becomes the motion where, like, you know, bolting up is great, but by season end, you're you're losing weight, you're, you're not able to, you're still trying to condition yourself, you're still playing games, and then you're going into a workout room. So, yeah, something is, I think, a little bit off with how the condition is done for players, especially maybe, you know, how the New York Mets do it of right now. Because there's just too many... Too many injuries. We knew we to expect injuries. The Mets had so many players on their roster in so many different positions because of that factor that there could be injuries on this team. But, I mean, nobody expected this 
nobody expected the fact that they'd be this injured, the fact that, you know, conditioning would be one of the most challenging things for this team as well. So, you know, as Mike said, it just takes one person to find some numbers about that because baseball is such a numbers game. And from there, if they can find something that can show the numbers to show or show any kind of health way that's better conditioning for players, I think the Mets will jump on that. I mean, there there's a perfect example, Rich. Uh, David Wright looks like the, the peak of conditioning, you know, looks like, you know, a very muscular specimen, and yet he's had one piece of of issue structurally after the other in different places. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's probably everything we're talking about, you know, because you look at Cespedes, right? And um, there's a guy, you know, that you see him in spring training. What was he squatting? 550 pounds, something like that. And, and you know, and, and that's great. He didn't get hurt doing it. And you think, okay, base, hitting a baseball is all lats and legs, as we know. So he's got strong legs. He's going to have a great year. Well, in the course of doing that, you know, his hamstrings get wound very tightly. And it makes logical sense that when you wind up, when you make a muscle that strong and wind it so tightly that it, it's more prone to being pulled and ending up with a pulled muscle. Whereas, you know, when Mike and I were, were watching the game in the 70s and the, these guys, they, were, they weren't supposed to lift weights. Like, you know, we all played high school baseball. We weren't supposed to lift weights because they said it's not a strength game. It's a, it's a game about stretching and it's a game about flexibility. And yes, the entire the entire focus has changed. And now it has sort of become a game of strength because like we were talking about an hour ago, what's valued? What's valued is how far can you hit the ball? Well, you can hit it farther because you're a bigger, stronger guy. Okay. Well, but think, of it, think that, about it like this too. Like these are the kids that grew up with the steroid era. Right, right. And they want to be the big, strong guy to hit out of the ballpark. And yeah, you know, if you spend all winter in the gym, the odds are you will hit the ball farther than the guy who doesn't. But, you know, you're not an offensive lineman. The nature of baseball is you have to be, it, it probably is a game where what's required is stretched out muscles, flexibility, things like that, because you're not an offensive lineman. You know, you're not a pulling guard. You're out there, you're, you're playing baseball. You're running 162 games a year. So it, it probably all it probably all comes together, yeah. I'll give you guys a little bit of uh, autumn and winter. Watch football this year and monitor all the hamstrings. They will all be on the offensive side on the ball. Defensive players don't pull hamstrings because they run backwards. Receivers, backs, linemen, they pull hamstrings. Who's the thought? Watch the football season this uh, this upcoming year and check it out. You'll find out that I'm right. <laughs> I can't wait to do that. In fact, I don't care anymore about like the outcome of of the jet games that I watch. I think I'm I only care specifically about the number of of hamstrings defensively to offensively that get pulled. I appreciate that. <laughs> there you go. It's better than gambling on games, trust me. Yeah, right. Uh, no, I'm going to be taking shots. What are you kidding? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I think I think that's a that's a good segue into uh, the last 10 minutes of our show. Uh, you know, the first half is over. Um, uh, well, I guess let's, let's talk about our, our favorite. Why don't we talk about some of our, our favorite moments of, of the first half, even though they might be few and far between. So I'll start with you, Nick. What, what, what is something good to take away from this year? Uh, you know, I don't really know how much there is that's good to take away. I think the most memorable thing for me was Ron Darling's quote about the conditioning. And that, I think, was the big thing to take away. That, you know, the announcers watching this team that played for this team are so fed up with how it's done as well. And so I think that was the big takeaway for me, uh, personally. I'm, And it's just how well they can rebuild from here. How about you, Rich? Takeaways from the first half. Um... Hmm. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's hard to come up with something positive. Jay Bruce, I'll say that. 
Mm-hmm. We did a we did a podcast on Christmas Eve, Sam. You remember that one? And I think we were unanimous on this point. And I think I was especially vocal that you know Bruce wasn't gonna would never make it in New York. He was Ed Whitson. He was all these guys. You know, who, he didn't have the look. He looked you know, like he was a deer in the headlights. And you know, get rid of him. I, I gladly crow on that one. Um, the guy has played very well. Uh, if he becomes a valuable trade ship, so be it. I wouldn't mind keeping him on the team, quite honestly. Um, and apparently he's a leader in the clubhouse as well. So I'll say the performance of Jay Bruce has, um, again, has given me a, a hefty dose of crow to eat, and I'm happy to do so. They're going to have money to spend. Would you sign him? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. Um, I would make him a first baseman because I'm done with Duda. I'm done with him. I mean, he, he's when he's in a streak, it's great. And when he's not, it's like, oh. So I think Bruce is a better hitter. He's, you know, I, I believe he is. I think he's more consistent. I'd, I'd make him a first baseman. The team has some outfield depth. Let him play first base. Duda's a decent first baseman, but I don't think you'd lose a lot defensively. And you keep Bruce's bat in the lineup and you open up an outfield spot. So that's what I would do. Yes, I would sign him. Short answer. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Uh, you know what? Here's my answer. For for most of this season so far, I've either been waking up at 9 p.m. or was uh, on my way towards an all-nighter into the next morning. So I've been getting a major dose of Howie Rose this season, uh, and it's been wonderful. <laughs> How's that? That's that's uh, good. The the crew are always good, even throughout the losing season, uh, except for uh, those years when when that other guy was with uh, Howie. He was a he wasn't that good. But what was it? <laughs> Josh is good. I see. I can't even remember the guy's name. Anybody? Wayne Hagen. Wayne Hagen. Uh, he yeah, he was sure he's a nice off. guy. Oh my God, he was bad. He was a definite. He he never called players by their name. He would say it's a ground ball to the first baseman who throws to the second, throws to the shortstop, back to the first baseman, and they complete the double play. He would never use their names. It drove me crazy. And yeah, and he would and, and he would also take forever to describe the play before you knew whether it was out or safe. The crowd reaction would happen. Then he would say, "He's right. in the motion. Here's the pitch. Come on, man. We know the ball's in play. We can hear it." Oh, brother. Uh, I like the What'd you say? I said I like Llewellyn. He's grown. He's grown on me. He's uh, he's got a warped sense of humor. He's cool. Oh, Josh. Josh is. It's it's a perfect pairing. They they really uh they did well. And and to give a shout out to to Wayne Randazzo. He does a pretty solid job in uh in when how you know when Howie is uh, gone. Um, I was gonna go also with uh two things to take away. It, it and there's a little bit of a negative because Wilmer Flores is just horrendous defensively, but you got to give him credit that that he's come around on with right-handed pitching and uh he looks like a more overall well-rounded player. Also the the play of TJ Rivera, uh he's continued to excel with making contact and um I I I like I hope to see a a long illustrious future for uh both of them here uh, with the New York Mets. Well, folks, uh we have wrapped up the the first half. Um uh, what what are you looking to see from the um, uh, from the second half, Nick? You know, I'm mainly looking to see how it, or if T.J. Rivera and Wilmer Flores can get more consistent at bats. Um, I would love to see as Jubal Cabrera and Jose Reyes almost become bench players or traded or designated for assignment at this point. I I want to see what the Mets have in this infield because you know there should only be one guy coming back and that's David Wright. So I'm I'm very interested to see what they can do with this young infield and trying to move forward to the 2018 season as well. How about you, Rich? They need to do something, Sam, because Right now, if they do nothing, they're accepting the play on the field and they're accepting the product and the way it's manifesting itself, and that's not acceptable. So either they go into buy-sell mode, they go into sell mode, they fire Terry. Something has to happen. You, You can't just let this season just kind of fritter away 
with what we're seeing. I mean, this, the status quo is not acceptable. And um, I'd like to see them take a definitive course and we could, you know, jump on these podcasts and talk about that course. But I'd like to see them go in a certain direction because status quo ain't going to cut it, as they say. And how about you, Mike? Uh, I'm kind of right there with Rich. Uh, right now, with just the ship bobbing around on a, on a windless ocean. Uh, we need to put something in those sails and we need direction. Uh, and, and like Rich said, uh, you know, I need clarity. I want to know which direction they're headed. I guess we're going to find out towards the end of the month. Uh, so refocus. That's, I just refocus and let us know what the real plan is. And, you know, stop wasting my time. Yeah, uh, I think that I have to go with all of you uh, with, <laughs> with that. I have nothing new to add. Um, that's basically, I just want to see something redeemed out of this season one way or the other however however that is like you guys said the status quo is not enough and and they they need to do something obviously they're waiting out i think they're going to wait out terry collins's contract i I don't see him getting fired one way or the other unless it's one of those september firings where it's just all right it's and 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 this is how i'll end rich is it fitting that just, you know, obviously it's kind of depressing, but when you think about it, Terry Collins is finishing the way he started, right? Yeah, but the, yeah, I guess. But, you know, when he said today that the team needs energy and there's no energy, and I almost I almost jumped off the couch. Who is responsible for that? Talk about injuries all you want. That is your job, dude. And if they have no injury, no energy, and they play like that, you just threw yourself under the bus. Right. Oh, makes me nuts. Yep, yep, yep. And who knows who's on the horizon? Yeah, it's a very. Uh, this is. A, who knows what what this team's going to look like in 2018? But I, I've been saying I, I had it in my heart of hearts that 2018 was going to be the bigger year, even though I wasn't going to say it when 2017 was still the play. So, uh, but with that, uh, we we have reached uh, another hour, and we're not going to go another hour. <laughs> on that. So uh, without further ado, I uh I want to go around for the last word and uh we will uh we'll start with Mike. Mike, your last word. Fourth of July weekend in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Pittsburgh has statues to Honus Wagner, Willie Stargell, Roberto Clemente, Bill Mazeroski. They even have Ralph Kiner's hands for Pete's sake. Philly, they have statues of Mike Schmidt, Robin Roberts, Steve Carlton, Richie Ashburn. When, and I'm speaking to Mets ownership now, are you going to finally get around to giving us fans at least one statue? I would like for it to be Mrs. Joan Payson, or without her there would be no Metropolitan. And obviously, Tom Seaver, who's more deserving, really? You go throughout baseball history, two men more deserving of a statue than Tom Seaver. So, what? What what are you waiting for? I mean, I walk upon City Field, and I'm sorry, but each and every time, I can't be, you know, I can't be reminded enough of being enshrined to the Dodgers. Not to the Mets, but to the Dodgers. And, of course, you have to go through the Jackie Robinson moves. On the... I which you know, to me that's entirely separate. I, I love Jackie Robinson and, and and he should be uh memorialized in that fashion. But you know, and once I get inside City Field a lot of that dissipates. It's just walking up it's just a, such a thorn in my side, uh, how that place is just not a complete shrine to the Mets. Uh you can make a lot of that go away for this fan, uh, by starting with the statue to Mrs. Joan Payson. That's it. And I will uh, put my last words out there that it always comes back to tone deaf. The Wilpons are tone deaf. Uh, Unfortunately, that is always going to be the cloud hovering over this team until they show me otherwise. But let's not be that depressed, (laughs) right? Nick, go ahead with the last words. Obviously, I think the Mets are in sell mode. Uh, You can name over... A uh, handful of players 
that they could consider being traded, but I only think that there are four realistic players that they are even going to consider trade. Blevins, Reed, Duda, and Bruce. Whatever you can get for any of them, I think is worth it because it can put you in the right step of the, uh, the direction of 2018. That's right. Rich? Uh, my last word would be action. I need something to be done. And while, like I've said it several times, it's not my first choice to just you know have a fire sale. Okay, that would at least tell me something. So I'm just going to echo what Mike said. We need a direction. Take a direction. What's happening now, I love the analogy Mike used. It's like a boat just flopping around, going with the wind on the ocean. Somebody take the sails and the masts and, and, you know, and get us going in one direction or another because this just isn't working. That, uh, that is correct. This just isn't working. Uh, guys, thank you for uh, coming uh, onto the show and commiserating with us this uh, first half of the 2017 New York Mets. Enjoy your all-star break. Rich, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we can get you on sooner than later. Absolutely. Thanks for having it, Sam. Definitely. Mike, thank you as always, and and I hope you get uh, some proper sleep. Yeah, so as long as it pays, it's okay. (laughs) And Nick, uh, as always, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us tonight. And thank you for having me on the Rising Apple Report. And thank you all for joining us on the Rising Apple Report. Appreciate you listening. And uh, also, enjoy your All-Star break. Take care. We'll see you for the second half. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Go ahead, boys. Let's go Mets. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty!